Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Gals of Geekdom podcast. I am one of your hosts, Crystal Williams. My pronouns are she, her. And we are continuing our mini-series on the Exorcist films. And join with me on this fun little adventure is Anthony Gamuglia. Hi. How's, how's it going? Uh, I am back once again to discuss uh, The Exorcist, which remains one of my favorite films with several disappointing sequels. Uh, save for one. One sequel to The Exorcist is not only good, it's excellent. Oh, by the way, my, my pronouns are he, him, uh, in case anyone's curious about that. I wasn't curious about it because I'm more curious about what your thoughts are on Exorcist 3. But, again, I'm a little biased. <laughs> so, as a little bit of a recap, we all like the first film. Mm, it's a classic. I love the first one. <laughs> I love it. It is a I'm classic. A more enthusiastic. A, uh, well... I say like because I'm rounding up, rounding out the uh, varying responses, including Jazzy's response. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but I do, I do really love the original Exorcist. It's a, it's a, it's a masterpiece of horror film and mm. a seminal one that everyone should watch if you're a horror fan. Uh, definitely on the list of important cinema. And then we get the Exorcist Two, which is even better. Oh yeah, I I love I love those locusts. That's um, that is my favorite. That's my favorite. The Exorcist Two yeah. being genuinely awful. So painful. <laughs> it was a pretty painful watch. Not gonna lie, it was really boring mm. and weird. It's certainly so real. I feel like it would be better if I were high while watching Exorcist Two, but I've never attempted that. So I am very afraid of the experience I might have or excited. Well, it's either better or worse. It will not be the same experience. I can guarantee that. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Uh, So, yeah. um, Unless you want to submit yourself to it or you do not recommend watching The Exodus 2, I don't think it's a necessity. Considering that the film we are discussing today is... Not does not even reference that movie in any way. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> so, but this is not the. This, this is not Exorcist Two: The Heretic. This is not Exorcist Two: The Heretic. This is the Exorcist Three. Uh, subtitle is Legion. Yes. So the the movie is actually an adaptation of the novel Legion by William yes. Peter Blatty, um, which is itself a sequel to The Exorcist, but like less directly than this one, than this movie is, I would say. Uh, I should mention I have not actually read Legion. Um, so I, if you're looking for a comparison between the book and the movie, this is not the best place for that. But I do think that some discussions of what uh, Blatty intended and what came on the screen at the end of the day will be discussed when we mention the director's cut for uh, Exorcist 3. Um, which I have not seen the director's cut of Exorcist 3. I mm. watched whatever version was available on Shudder. Yeah, that's the theatrical version. Um, the thing is, this film does have some, the director's cut does have some alterations, which I'll mention. Uh, most, however, a lot of the scenes that were intended have been lost. So the director's cut isn't as night and day as one would expect, given the number of changes that Blatty wanted, but uh, 
uh, Shout Factory thing did the best they could. I think it was Shout Factory uh, who did the um the yeah, they, 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 they did, did what place. they could. Yeah, yeah, they did what they could with what they had. And uh, the director's cut's different, but it's um not as drastic as say a Snyder cut <laughs> director's cut would be. Um, but yeah, no, uh, this movie is incredible. I think I think it's the best in the series after the first one. Um, and in some ways, I think it's more accessible than the first one because of the crime procedural elements in it. But I, I can talk about this movie night and day. I think I think you should speak first before I monopolize this conversation with my uh, passion for this movie. <laughs> so uh, this is the first time that I have seen uh, The Exorcist 3. This is my first time seeing any other Exorcist films outside of the original. Um, and I... Um, granted, I didn't hear like amazing things about the movie, so I didn't know what to expect other than it was, it was the best <clears throat> sequel. And, uh, I, I was unfortunately spoiled by some things that I heard people talk about it, like the infamous, we'll get to it, hallway jump scare sequence. Oh, uh, yeah. One of the greatest scares uh, in cinema history. Yes. Um, uh, but, uh, I... I adored this movie. I thought it was phenomenal. I think I think there could be a case that some people I've heard made that this film would eclipse the original. I don't think so, but I do. I do. I understand why one would say that. Mm, um, they're very different types of films, though. Like they are the original, very different. Yeah, like the original is more of a drama about family, and this one is a crime procedural ultimately uh, mm-hmm. that deals with like life after death and the fears of death and everything like that. As well as, you know, guilt. Um, there's a lot to this film. There's a lot going on, I feel. There is a incredible. lot of things at play. There's a lot of story elements. Uh, there's some genuinely heartbreaking moments. Um, oh, very interesting obser- observation. It's about and, uh, society and culture, I guess. Mm, and surprising, uh, it's one of the only times in an Nexus film you see angels, which is, I think, pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I can't think of any other time in the films they actually show angels. Um, and there's some odd cameos in that scene. I, I'm not sure, Crystal, if you picked up on some of the cameos in the heaven sequence in this film. Because there's some, like, noteworthy oh, yeah. people in that crowd. Samuel L. Jackson, right? Samuel L. Jackson and Fabio, yeah. And I, which Fabio. Is, the Fabio one was so out of left field. Yeah, because you, you look at those angels, and it's like, oh, you know, it's all this heavenly stuff. And then there's this Fabio, like, <laughs> dead center in, this, in, in the shot. It's so strange, but, like, it kind of It's even adds. stranger to me that Fabio has more of a presence than Samuel L. Jackson, who I would argue that Sam Jackson is far more famous now than Fabio is now accordingly. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, but what was he famous for at the time? Death by Temptation? Maybe, maybe. I'm not even sure that came, when Death by Temptation came out. Uh, I think it was 90. Maybe the same year as Exodus 2, like Exodus 3. It's like. No, Sam Jackson was like an uh, an up and comer at that point, right? Yeah. He wasn't even in Goodfellas of, at that point, right? He Goodfellas was in. Next um, year. He was in uh, Coming to America. Mm hmm. That's right. He wasn't Coming to America. I forgot about that. So I mean, that's mainly that, that's the biggest mainstream role he probably had at that, at that point. And that role wasn't even that big. He literally just played like a robber. Yeah, it's a great scene though. But like that's probably the biggest yeah. one. He, I mean, 
what was what, what would you say his breakout would be then? Jurassic Park probably would be the big, the first big one that like everyone really saw outside of like. I mean, like Jurassic Park, probably people recognized his face but didn't really know him. Yeah, Pulp Fiction um, is what I really. Still, I still give Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Yeah, Pulp Fiction is the big one, but I think Jurassic Park was like the first introduction to Sam Jackson. But again, then, like, I'm sure there's something else that, like, he was in that was a big hit in certain communities. But in terms of mainstream, I think it's Jurassic Park and Pulp Fiction. By the way, he's in he's in Exodus 3. So <laughs> there's your, there's your like, early seconds. role. Yeah, really briefly. But um, but this is another case in point where um, if you put – if you just put um, George C. Scott in your horror film – it's it's going to become great by default. Like it's going to go up five hundred points in terms of quality just by putting George C. Scott in it. Not wrong. Yeah, he's only been in a couple horror films. Like he was in The Changeling, which I think is one of the most incredible ghost movies ever made uh, from the eighties. That one. Oh, The yeah. Changeling is incredible. Uh, every time someone gives me asks for horror recommendations, I always recommend The Changeling. I think it's a brilliant, brilliant ghost movie. Um, much like this, very sad. It's a very sad ghost movie, but it's it's incredible. Um, I like sad ghost movies, though. I like I like because I feel like ghost stories can inherently be an emotional ride. You know, yeah, like they have. That, to be. I mean, like right. It's it's a it's a analysis of death, really. Yeah, y- y- these are stories about people's lives and their their lost hopes, and usually sometimes decades removed from any chance of being like accomplishing what they needed to accomplish. It's very st- – the, the best ghost stories are sad, more than scary. Um, I agree. He was like also in – Flanagan's work, right? Oh, 100% agree with that one. He was yeah. also in um, Firestarter also, which I think is not that good, but he was good in it. Um, he was in the older version of that movie, right? Yes, and in fact, there's a connection to Firestarter and Exorcist 3 that I will bring up in a second. <laughs> Remind me of that. There's a connection. Okay. Um, and yeah, that, that that depiction of so that was supposed to be like heaven, right? Or yeah, yeah, that was supposed to be heaven at that point. But no, so so George C. Scott huh. plays Detective Kinnaman in this film, who's like a minor character uh, from the original film. And right, I remember him. Yeah, what I find so funny about this is that the director's cut of the original Exorcist, which came out in 2000, actually sets up a plot point that is continued in this movie, which is, I think, so interesting. It's from the book, this plot point. So obviously, Blatty cared about this more than, you know, most. But at the end of the the version you've never seen before for The Exorcist, uh, the director's cut, Detective Tinnerman and the priest Father Dreyer they, 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 they ch- Reagan leaves, and the, the detective and the priest are chatting, and he talks about going to see a movie. And he talks about seeing a movie with a lot of people. Oh yeah, that's true. But at the end of the movie, end of the movie, the one priest who he talks to—that's the same priest from uh, this movie, just older, younger. Um, and that continues to this movie where they go every year in the anniversary of the events of the original film. They just go to see a movie together and they hang out. <laughs> And it's yeah, that's right. And it's and it, that's not in the theatrical cut of that. No, no, no. Okay. The original film just cuts the black after they leave the house. They they have a they pan over the house. I think they play two real bells for a bit, and then the movie ends. Whereas in the director's cut, they have that extra scene, that little epilogue at the end, 
Yeah, and I remember. I remember, yeah. I remember a lot of people at the time go when that film came, when that director's cut came out, going, "Oh well, it, it, it ruins the tension of the scene." But like, if you like Exorcist Three, that's great because it, it's a great through line from point A to point B that completely ignores that middle chapter <laughs> that has no impact on anything happening. Well, like, Exorcist Two has no impact on anything. But it also doesn't contradict Exodus 2. It just ignores it. Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, <there's laughs> Whatever. No point... Who cares? Yeah, there's never a scene, like, in the 2018 Halloween where they go, like, yeah, wasn't Michael Myers, like, your uncle? Like, no, nah, that, was that was a story someone made up. It's not true. They never go, yeah, what about that point with the locusts? And, um, like, that? no. They never acknowledge it. It's just the closest they ever come to it is when they show the staircase because in Exodus 2, spoil it for the end of the movie, the house blows up. But, like, you know, 15 years later, is that property going to be just completely empty? Probably not. <laughs> I can't imagine them having an empty lot for, like, 15 years in Georgetown. So it makes sense. It all makes sense. Yeah, no, it it it, it still works. Hmm. Um, you can, uh, you can, so I, you can I, pretend it's canon until the beginning slash uh, Dominion. <laughs> Oh, Dominion. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, we'll 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 get to that. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll <laughs> That'll be, there. be a confusing situation next week when we figure that out how to watch these the prequels in order. <laughs> we're watching the beginning. We're doing release order, right? So oh, we'll so the beginning the... first, then Dominion. Okay. Yeah. I, mean, I think that they, makes more sense. Even though they were filmed in the reverse order. Weird. Okay. Yeah, that's a whole story. We'll, we'll, I'll I'll fill you in on that when we get to it. It's a. Do you want to do release order? Or do you want to do? It honestly doesn't matter. <laughs> it really doesn't. Okay, like, so they don't gonna, contradict each other either, either way. way. Yeah, okay. you're gonna be annoyed either way. <laughs> it doesn't matter which okay. order you get annoyed in. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> beginning first is better because I think Dominion is slightly better than Begins, but. Okay, so then we'll we'll take our medicine first. <laughs> exactly, but but, okay. but but this is not medicine. This is Exorcist Three, which is a great film. Um, <laughs> yes, we are currently on Exorcist Three, which uh, is uh, yeah. Again, I'm going to reiterate that I thought it was phenomenal. Mm, uh, I agree, 100%. I I I love the through line of the the story of these characters. Um, I love the. I love the the concept of using like a serial killer to continue the story and make it more of like a procedural sort of thing that mm. um that quickly dispels. I mean, it does set up the potential that it's like oh, it's just killer, but then it quickly dispels that knows like no, this is impossible. It'd be impossible if it's copycat killer, you know? Yeah, hundred percent because of the whole detail with the um the middle finger being cut off in the the mark of the Gemini on the back, you know, I've seen, like, it's such a, I, I love those details because it makes the world feel very real. And yeah, well, I mean, like it was directly inspired by the Zodiac. So, Oh yeah. Completely directly by Zodiac. What's kind of crazy. What's kind of wild. I shouldn't say crazy. What I think is wild about this film is that one of its first fans for better or worse was famed serial killer, um, Jeffrey Dahmer who just oh. uncomfortably loved this film. He he oh. he adored it. He loved every second of it, which I think is really concerning <laughs> that we are both saying we love this film. 
But like, I do love the idea of the serial killer as an antagonist as opposed to the devil. Like the Gemini killer is such a disturbing villain. And they do tie him in with Pazuzu and all of that. They say like, oh, you know, as revenge for, you know, Karis expelling Pazuzu, he puts the Gemini killer's soul in Karis's body just to torture him a little bit for as punishment. Because Pazuzu is a petty little bitch. Um, <laughs> and I think that's These movies, yes. <laughs> incredibly petty. He's, he's an incredibly petty b- b- uh, demon. But I like that because what it does is it avoids the trap that so many sequels fall into. Because there's always a sense that sequels have to escalate the conflict. You know, the devil's in the first film. So the second film has to cover, you know, the fate of humanity because of good versus evil and all that. This film draws it back. It goes, no, no, the, the villain's not a, serial, a murder, a, a demon. He's a serial killer who's just possessing the most vulnerable people in society to continue his crimes. And, you know, just out of sheer pettiness and cruelty. Um, there's something really daring about that, you know, because you look at horror sequels and they so often have to escalate. They have to keep going harder and harder. But this film manages to de-escalate the conflict and make it much more personal, but still maintain that sense of genuine horror when you. And you don't even really see any of the the kills, really. You just you just see them looking at the vials of blood blood out. You see a decapitated statue. You see a sheet over a body, and it's it's wholly horrifying because your mind fills in all the blanks. It doesn't get gruesome until the end. No, yeah, and even then, like that whole sequence is extraordinary, but it's the least horrifying. Some of those sequences are the least horrifying. The exorcist scene, like the final bits, they're the least horrifying of the whole movie, I feel. Um, I feel it's the most horrifying things are seen is my absolute favorite sequences is of George C. Scott uh, acting against Brad Dourif. Uh, yeah. All you got to do is have uh, those well, all intercutting with uh, Jason Miller. Uh and by the way, the yes. Jason Miller bits were all added in the theatrical cut. They are not in uh they are not <laughs> in Vladdy's original. Um which I is I like think that, actually. It's a change I like. Uh and I get why they couldn't. So this there are two stories as to why Jason Miller was not in the the, the original director's cut of uh Exodus 3. Um, one is William Peter Blatty's version, and one is Brad Dourif's version. I am inclined <laughs> to believe Brad Dourif's version. Uh, I'll tell you both. So Blatty has has always had always said that Miller was unavailable for the for the when they, when they were filming the the, the original version, they, they just couldn't get him. Mm-hmm. Um, Brad Dourif's version though is that. Um, Jason Miller was very difficult to work with at the time because he had fallen into deep alcoholism and was so intoxicated while filming that he couldn't remember his lines. Okay. Yeah, Which I, I think, believe that. And apparently George C. Scott, who didn't really comment on it, um, was extremely frustrated to deal with Jason Miller and they end up cutting a lot of his scenes from the director's cut version. 
I like <laughs> Danger Cup with Jason Miller because I think it's really good to have that continuity between the original film and this. But I also it's unfortunate that he was dealing with so much of his own personal demons that he couldn't play a person possessed by personal demons, so to speak. Yeah. No, that's that's valid. And that's also um, why the big bulk of the uh, the intense acting scenes fall on Brad Dourif's shoulders. Yeah, who, he can handle that. Oh, yeah, 100%. I feel like Brad Dourif is one of like the most talented but unsung character actors in Hollywood to this day. Like he's done everything if you want your your drama to have like a intense acting you call Brad Dourif if you want your cheesy horror film to have like someone who's over the top and ridiculous you call Brad Dourif and i think this is like the perfect balance between those two extremes like this is more so people, than like if you like if you like him as chucky but you want to see something dar- a darker take on a serial killer uh oh yeah. this is it yeah like, and I know he was, like, up for an Oscar at one point. You know, what, what was that? One Fool of the Cuckoo's Nest? Who cares about that? No. Exorcist 3. That's the, uh, that's, that's peak Brad Dourif. Uh, I, I actually think it's one of the best performances I've seen from him. He was so oh, phenomenal. Absolutely. I couldn't take his eyes, my eyes off of him in that sequence. He was he's horrifying. He's genuinely terrifying. Like, he is scarier. He's the scariest person, I think, in this entire series. More so than, like, you know, Reagan with, like, the pea soup, I personally feel. Because there's something so, like, 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 with Reagan, and mind you, I love the original film. I think it's an incredible, incredible film. But you are more afraid for Reagan than you're afraid of her, I feel. Right, because something is happening to her. Yeah, because it's horrible. Whereas with, like, the, the Gemini killer, he is horrifying. Like, this is one of the scariest serial killers I've ever seen in a horror film. Like, he's just so I agree. excited, but he's also so vindictive and cruel, but also, like, he just has this big grin on his face until he doesn't. And when he stops, you get that sense of, oh, God, I'm stepping in in something that I really shouldn't be looking at. Uh, he, he, This is just an incredible performance from any actor. Just some of... The scene where he, like, starts, like, screaming is, in my opinion, like, one of the most terrifying monologues in a horror film I've ever seen. And just, like, immediately turns it off. Oh, yeah. From, like, zero to 99. Like, immediately. And what I think is so scary about it is you don't see, you don't really know what's even happening until, like, the end of the movie. Like... He, he 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 body swaps so often. He jumps from, like, victim to victim, targeting and exploiting and, like, committing violent acts and committing these violent things. It's, they just describe it to you. In a lot of ways, I feel like it's a lot, it's a lot like Seven, uh, before Seven, in that sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Seven's pretty messed up, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seven's horrifying. But like, the worst part of seven, in my opinion, is the is the the lust kill. And they never show you what yeah. happened to the body. They show you like a blurry photo, but they just show you the murder weapon and they have the people reacting and blubbering and screaming and cringing and just this in a having cold indifference to it all. And that sells you on it. You don't have to see the, the violence. And I find that worse than like say I know everyone says sloth is the worst. I think lust was the worst of seven. But like 
this whole movie is that they just have them. You just get to describe. You have them describe the violence. Like, what did you do to that poor kid at the start of the film? Like, you, they don't tell yeah. you it directly. They just, well, well they, they tell you everything that happens. I mean, they, I mean, you face it. They tell you it directly. They don't show you any of it. I should say. Right. It's horrifying. You don't see it. You actually do see it later, but it's not. You yeah, know. very indirect, very briefly, but like. You don't have to see it to be horrified by it. No. Uh, and there are bits of this, like there's some surreal bits in this film. I, I'm going to say this also because I'm thinking about this right now. Um, one of my favorite scenes in this movie is when uh, Kenneman, as played by Joey Scott, goes to um, the one, I guess he's like the, the like the, um, I'm not sure if he's a priest or if he's like a de- like a like a bishop or car- bishop whatever. Uh, and you see him so indifferent to everything. He's like, I don't care. I got I got a correct school curriculum to worry about. Meanwhile, like the whole facility is like darkening and like the statues look like jokers with knives. And he's like, I don't care. I got man doesn't do that McNeil kit. I don't know. I got other problems to deal with. I got budgets to worry about. It's like the most like exhausted i love it i just love that stuff i i yeah there's there's so many great surreal like moments in this film oh, it feels yeah. like a fever dream at sometimes and, and it's amazing in that that execution of it mm, like all the um the scenes where the the jesus statues or crucifixes or mary's are crying uh, crying tears of blood or they open their eyes and look horrified there's something really otherworldly about elements of it in a way that's subtle enough to not be like the Exodus 2's mania, but it still captures that same sense of unreality. But in the more also, yeah, I love the um, I love the zero to a hundred nature of it too. Mm, mm-hmm. Like uh, I love the the I even love the sequence with the uh, the priest doing uh, confession. Just how it, oh, that seems the, horrifying. That sweet. Like lady, that lady turning into like monstrous is like terrifying, and you don't see anything. <laughs> no, yeah, all you just hear her voice. It's all you need to see. And like, I should also note that like some of the scenes, it again, I think what sells it much like what I think is so good at the movie The Changeling is George C. Scott, because I agree. You, you look at this guy. I mean, I, I like the actor who played Kinnaman in the original film quite a bit. I think he really did the job well for this good-hearted, kind detective. But, like, in this film, you get the sense that George C. Scott has seen some stuff, like, beyond just a 12-year-old girl getting possessed by the devil. Like, he's seen a lot, and he can take a lot. So, if you see him, like, upset, you know that something's getting to him. He's, he's, he has a high threshold. So the whole movie becomes how far can we push George C. Scott before he can't take it anymore? And I mean, after his friend dies. Oh yeah, his friend dies, and you feel the pain. You see the pain. This that's one of the best examples of like manly tears I've seen in a movie that clearly is made by a very conservative director and starred conservative actors. Because like, there's a sense of like embarrassment, but also intense feeling that you don't see too often in, in these 
more because like, I don't think it's any secret that William Peter Blatty was a very conservative man. I mean, he wrote The Exorcist, a movie, a book all about like the church. Um, and there's a sense of like a lot of men not expressing themselves as much. But you see it in his films where these men are very openly weeping. They're openly showing their feelings. And there's no sense of, you know, you have to be a man. It's not like in The Godfather, which I love, by the way, where someone starts crying and, like, Marlon Brando comes in going, you can act like a man. What's the matter with you? Slaps you for crying. Like, this is more like they give him his time to emote. And I think that's really a nice touch. Like, it, it adds a real sense of warmth to this world that is otherwise so cold. Mm-hmm. And... It's stuff like that which I really appreciate with Blatty's character writing, where the characters are allowed to, like, vent their pain and not be and, – and, and the conflict isn't getting over feeling pain. It's getting over processing pain. It's trying to process the pain better. Not get over it, it's the wrong word, but because cause all these films, the, the ones that are successful, focus on characters dealing with really – genuinely human issues and the supernatural being a way to uh, confront those issues. Like in this film, I guess the fear is how can a good God allow pain to exist, which is a very Catholic question. You know, how can a God that is good allow murder? And this, we find out, Oh, it's the devil. That explains it. <laughs> but like, Oh, it, 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 it's Pazuzu. He's at fault uh, for allowing these awful people avenues to cause pain, which is again, a very Catholic name drop. They don't name drop Pazuzu in this one. Oh, no, they don't, they don't mention anything from, because again, I think Laddie realized how silly the word Pazuzu sounds when you say it out loud. When you read it, it's like, Oh, Pazuzu, that's a scary name. But when you say Pazuzu out loud enough times, you realize that's a very silly name. Oh, and it fits more in line with the original. They talk mm. about it as like, we're all in here and, you know. Yeah. And it really ultimately doesn't matter who the demon is. I, I mean, what, what does it matter if it's Pazuzu as, or Asmodeus or Baphomet or Beelzebub? It doesn't really – or Lucifer. There's no real impact on the plot. It's still a demon. <laughs> it's still a devil. That's all you need to know. That's yeah. all you need to know. Yeah, who cares about the specifics? It's 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 the devil, <laughs> and yeah. like, but they use the devil so well. It it doesn't feel like because whenever you have the devil in a story, he always takes center stage. And this is like he's a background character. He's like, no, he just he did one thing, and he had the ripple effects of that one action for for years now removed. And there is such a chilling element. Even like the scene where the old woman is spider crawling along the ceiling. Like there's some unsettling visuals. And none of this, by the way, we haven't even touched on like the jump scare. We want to talk about the jump scare. That's a good time. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll let you discuss that one because I'm monopolizing this conversation too much as it is. But like I said, unfortunately, I was already spoiled because I watched the. I watched Shutters. 100 scary movie moments that they released mm. last year, um, which I liked. I liked that. It was really good. It was, was like the revival good. of the Bravo thing, but they showed this whole sequence. Um, but they they do this incredible sequence of like very long takes showing this hallway in the hospital. Uh, and 
I do like the first fake out jump scare. It's still enough to get you. You know? Mm. Yeah, it's her walking in, into that room. Like, but like the shot is kind of like a POV of the door opening. Uh, it's, I, it's an incredibly well shot movie, I gotta say. Uh, oh, yeah. And again, it's shocking that Blatty, as a director, had only made one of the film before this, ninth, the Ninth Configuration. Uh, which also had Jason Miller in it, so I guess it's a reoccurring trend. And I don't think he directed any other film. Actually, that's one thing I can mention right now. The tie to Firestarter. Guess which mm-hmm. director? There were two directors that were initially considered for this film. One was William Friedkin. Okay, that's what I thought. But he was like, he gave it to, he figured that um, he had different opinions about where the film should go than Blatty. The next choice was John Carpenter. Carpenter directed Exorcist film. Interesting. Yeah, he left because he felt like it was clear that Blatty cared more about the film than he did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, considering John Carpenter's film trajectory, it's very clear that <laughs> he usually doesn't care all that much. Like, I love John Carpenter, but he's, he, he usually has a, a degree of removal from, like, the films he works on. Um, That's true. Which, is, which, which contributes to his style, and I'm not going to – I'm not making fun of him for it. It's just, a th- it's just very obvious. <laughs> he doesn't – like, he doesn't, he doesn't buy into the, to the thing, f- fan theories. He saw Halloween as a work for hire. He's not – he 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 has a, de- a degree of separation from what he makes, which I think is what makes John Carpenter John Carpenter. I don't think he would have been good for this movie. I, I don't know if he, it would have been as interesting as it turned out. It would have been interesting in a different way, I feel, but there's such a sense of that Catholic guilt in this film. Yeah. And I don't think John yeah. Carpenter would have brought that. No, well, his sensibilities aren't that, that way. You no, know, not the least. Famously, uh, not a, not a conservative. <laughs> no, God, no, he's very anti-establishment at that. Like yeah. when he made a movie about, I think the closest to Exorcist Three he got would be Prince of Darkness. Yeah, which is such a different film. It's such a different take on God and Satan, and I guess anti-God. Uh, I don't think he would have made The Exorcist, and that's fine. That's valid. Not every. Films like this can only be made by very specific people, not because of talent, but because of perspective. And um, Exodus 3 can only be made by someone like Blatty, uh, who clearly cares deeply about Catholicism, clearly has a very deep understanding of human fear and human uh, anxieties and guilt. Um, I guess I should also mention, too, that the big thing that was added to this film was the whole subplot about the priest performing an exorcism. Still added on. That was added on, yeah. Um, but I, it was, I didn't feel like it was distracting from anything else. I thought it was interesting. Yeah, no, 100%. This is one case where studio interference did not result in the film, I feel, was inferior. I think at the time, uh, the reasonings why was, I, I think made a lot of the actors and directors and talents involved a little cynical because the reason why they added it was primarily just to have an exorcism because 
this is the second Exorcist sequel that would not have had an exorcism, exorcism sequel sequence in it. Because Exorcist 2 very famously had no exorcism in the film at all. So I get why the studio wanted an exorcism. An, an exorcism. Well, I can't even say it. You said it enough times, it starts to sound dumb in your mouth. But, um, so they added it in. Um, and I think it's a nice subplot. It doesn't connect all that much to the rest of the film, but it does add a texture to the film, which I liked. Um, and I do like how the way the film resolves itself is not through an, ex- an, an exorcism, but rather through death, which is the big theme of the film, the fear of death. You know, we start the film with that conversation at the um, at the um, the one I guess pub, uh, the the little eatery, the the pub or whatever, between uh, Father Dreyer and Kinnerman, where they talk about like death and dying, and it ends with death resolving everything. You know, the killing of someone very dear to him, to them both, really. Yeah, and I think that's yeah. a really poetic way of the film wrapping its resolving itself. Plus, it allows him to be, again, another hero in the exactly. sense, you know, like, like he gets to continue his his uh, noble sacrifice that he was started in the uh, in the first film. Uh, oh, yeah. 100%. I feel like giving him the agency to be like, no, this is it, you know? Yeah. To decide to die, you know, not that that prolonging death results in this unnatural abomination of a. And aging's a big thing in this film, too, I should add. There's something very surreal about a villain who exploits the aging and decay of life. Like, there's something very wrong about that and perverse and grotesque. That I think the film pulls off very well, illustrating how to cheat death. Uh, the Gemini Killer exploits those who are either on the verge of death or dying. And it's very sad and disturbing and Human. I think that's an element of the film that doesn't get discussed as often, how the film uses imagery of of um, age and time to show uh, the evils of just, I don't know, I think it's very interesting, especially considering we're talking about a serial killer who murders people in, you know, in horrible, gruesome ways. <laughs> uh you think? <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. A couple, yeah. couple gruesome ways. Uh, you know, like uh, in a hospital with a pair of shears. <laughs> also, those shears are uh, terrifying. <laughs> They're the most terrifying shears you They're can think horrifying. of. They're horrifying. They're scary, scary shears. So, here's a question for you. Um, mm. What do you think the Rotten Tomato score for this film was? Well, Rotten Tomatoes didn't exist back then. No, <laughs> I mean, I mean, of the uh, I know, I'm just, I'm just being a smartass. Yeah, there we go. So, uh, I think it's like fifty to sixty. Yeah, um, people did not like this film when it came out. Yeah, it still kind of has lower ratings on uh, the major websites. I noticed. I'm going to read a quote from Owen Gleiberman from Entertainment Weekly. If part two sequels are generally disappointing, part threes are often much, much worse. It can seem as if nothing is going on in them, except dim murmurings about the original movie. Murmurings that mostly remind you of what isn't being delivered. 
And he called the Exodus 3 an ash-gray ash disaster that has the feeling of a nightmare catechism lesson, or a horror movie made by a depressed monk. Did we watch the same movie? Right? Um, Kim Newman, who's actually usually pretty... It's pretty usually on good with horror films. He claimed that the major fault in Nexus 3 is that it's a house of cards that is constantly collapsing. It's a weird thing to right? say. It's, and, and even Cinema Score gave, had the audiences leaving the film gave it a C. At, usually B plus is a low score for, cine, for cinema, cinema Score. This got a C. Hmm. Um, which and, and, and for those who don't know, cinema score is usually graded by by them interviewing people who are leaving the cinema and asking them, "Hey, what did you think of the film? Did it meet your expectations?" This film was not what people were expecting or wanted. Um, but thirty years later, it's seen as a masterpiece of horror cinema. Like it's a cult classic, yeah, but it's a beloved cult classic. Probably because people realize that the differences is what makes it unique. Exactly. And what's very funny is the film came out right before the parody Repossessed, which did star Linda Blair. And Leslie Nielsen, but it's a whole other story for another day. <laughs> we're not covering that. But no, we're not. I thought about it. I, I, people asked if we we're going to discuss Repossessed. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean... I don't. I don't know. I know. <laughs> I don't think it was. Fits. But here's the crazy thing: it was also the film. The film won a Saturn Award for like best writing and you know best horror film, and and uh, was nominated for best supporting actor with Brad Dourif. But the same year, George C. Scott was nominated for a for a, for a Golden Raz, Raspberry Award, a Razzie. What? So he lost to Andrew Dice Clay. Well, okay. For the adventures of Ford Farlane? I've not seen that movie. I I unfortunately have seen it. It's not good. Uh, But again, I'm not not a big Andrew Dice Clay fan. I think he's kind of um, not funny. Kind of? Kind of not funny. Yeah, I'd say it's a fair point. I'd say a couple of his jokes elicited a chuckle. But the rest of them made me cringe, if I'm being quite honest. It feels like super edgy for the sake of being edgy, and I'm like, this is really juvenile, guys. But either way, like, it's it's amazing how divisive this film is. I think it just depends on what you're looking for. Yeah, right? It, it, it's interesting. It's... It's just really unusual, like, how this film is so divisive, yet, at the time. But nowadays, it's regarded as just a masterpiece. And I think it's because... Well, the thing didn't get great reviews initially, either. No, no, yeah. But, like, I I think it has more to do with the fact that we did end up getting the film that fans wanted. A lot. (laughs) People forget this. There were a lot of Exorcist v- ripoffs. Um, Beyond the Door is the one that comes to mind initially. 
I, I feel like fans wanted a movie like Beyond the Door, which is just the possession scenes. It's just the demon. It's just the vomiting. It's just the the graveling and the growling and the head spinning and the the floating. Right. And I think Beyond the Door is a very underwhelming film because it's so boring. And I mean, granted, there are other films also that ripped off the axis that went further than other films should have. I think the Manitou hmm. is what comes to mind immediately of a film that went a little beyond uh, what the Exorcist sequels should have gone beyond. Um, it's a movie where it's a Native American spirit who possesses a woman, but is like sprouting out of her back <laughs> in a giant, like weird impre- back impregnation sequence. And it's very strange, but it's, so wild and has its own form of an, ex- an exorcism at the end. I think audiences wanted that more than they wanted um, a really intelligent, well-written film that really played with expectations. And it wasn't the horror of yeah. the grotesque imagery. No, yeah, hundred percent. It's. I think something... what makes this film work is the horror of the emotional stakes that are involved. Hundred percent. And this, like film, I said, the scariest moment for yeah. me is the the scene with Brad Dourif talking to George Chase Scott. Yeah. Like, they, they, nothing happens in that scene besides him switching back and forth, like face wise. Oh yeah. Uh, other than that, it's just terrifying. You know. No, it's nightmare. It's nightmare fuel in, entirely. And it's funny because the the way the film plays it, it's all done like through impressions. It's all done. Indirectly, you don't really see anything, but you see it all at the end. And I think what really works for the film is just how haunting and subdued and restrained it is when it needs to be. I don't know. I think this film is incredible. I think it's one of the the best horror films of the 90s, of which it has a lot of competition. I mean, I, I agree with you. I actually did yeah. not. I did not expect to like this film as much as I did when it, when it, when it ended. I was like, "Holy shit, this was a ride!" Like the it one, felt like a proper sequel. You agreed. Know? It felt like it was something giving you something different, but still connected to the original. It, it, it doesn't feel like it has to outdo the original, because. And again, I want to go back to something that I think I mentioned in the last episode, where Stanley Kubrick said the only way you can make a sequel to The Exorcist is to go bigger and louder and more intense, but. This proves the opposite. This is way more subdued than ex- the original Exorcist, but it's just as frightening in some ways, I feel. Um, I agree. Yeah, and I think it's one of the best films of the 90s in terms of horror. I think it's up there with uh, the OG Candyman, Seven, Signs of the Lambs, Audition, Jacob's Ladder, uh, the original Scream. It's different than those, yes, but I think it's on par with all of them. In terms of the sheer horror, and I'm sure Lizzie is going to is going to tell have a comment about the about me saying it's on par with Scream, but like it, I think it is at that level of discussion at the very least. Yeah, at the very least, it's it's worth having a discussion about its quality as yeah. opposed to those other films as well. Um, yeah. It's a fascinating film, uh, way more thoughtful than I expected, way more interesting. Um, but it's not without fault. And you know what the fault of that no. is, Crystal, of this film? 
What's what's your main fault? It always gives me hope <laughs> that the series can be as good as this. Oh, well, that's true. <laughs> Every time a new one comes out, I'm like, well, maybe it'll be like Exodus 3. And it never is. In fact, it's always much worse. <laughs> I don't... For some reason, I know it didn't get great reviews, this new film, but we get to it at some point. We'll the last of our little little series, but I don't think it's going to be as bad as Exorcist 2, at least. No, no, no. That That's the worst one that I've seen. I think the beginning and Dominion fail in different ways. I don't, I don't think, think they're as exhaustingly awful, right? No, no. And the thing is, they're both not successful at what they try to accomplish, but they fail in ways that are interesting, I feel. You know, like they're, okay. they're not successful. They're not great movies, but they're not bad either. They just – they fail at their, their mission statement, if that makes sense. Whereas this film, it failed to get what the audience wanted at the time, but it succeeded at exactly what it was trying to do is what I feel. Yes. And, you know, I I think – it's a great example of a film that it's a great it's a great example that fans don't always know what they want, <laughs> and sometimes the fans are wrong. Um, there's a big discussion. What, what do you mean? Oh, exactly. But fans are always right. I mean, always look right. at the. We talk about always right. They're always right. That's why you have to listen to them. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's the big discussion too. You know, online every time a new sequel comes out. It's like the fans are like, I can't believe it didn't do exactly what I wanted. You know, like with Star Wars, they kept – all the fans kept saying, I want Star Wars to be exactly like this. And then Andor comes out, which is totally a, unlike what they wanted. And everyone agrees it's fantastic. But well, because the fans, it was. Because <laughs> it was fantastic. It was a great series, great science fiction. But, like, it was proof that the fans didn't really know what they wanted because they thought they wanted what – a show like Ahsoka gave us. And I like Ahsoka. It's a good series. But, like, Andor was what they needed. And I think Exodus 3 is the same way. It's not what people wanted, but it's what they needed to see. And I think it stands apart for a reason. I can totally see how someone could actually prefer this to the original in some ways. You know, I've seen a lot of... Um, there's one particular uh, YouTube comic critic who I think can think of who has gone on the record multiple times saying this is his favorite film in the Exorcist series, if not his favorite horror film, period. Um, huh. I'm talking about Linkara. I think I think Linkara has said multiple times this is his favorite uh, horror movie. Um, I think. Uh, watch I'm wrong. <laughs> watch I'm incorrect. But um, I, I think this is too. Oh, it's actually, oh, God, can you imagine? No, can you imagine? <laughs> but, like, this, <laughs> I, feel, I feel like this film would make a great double feature with Jacob's Ladder. That's on my must-watch list, too. I've never seen, seen Jacob's Ladder? No. Oh, my crystal, what the... Oh, my God, Jacob's Ladder is incredible. That's, like, one of the all-time great horror films. Like, that's incredible. Oh, a lot of... Greats I've missed, so. Crystal, you're going to have to bring me back to this so I can drag your butt to the television to watch well, Jacob's that's what, that's what we do. If, if, if I'm over there or you're over here, we'll just spend an entire 24 hours going through, like, really important horror. 
Crystal, it, I'm going to drag your ass to the TV and make you watch this. Oh, no. <laughs> I will. I will cook because I'm Italian and that is what we do. And you will. Oh, okay. So you have no excuse to leave. <laughs> but I have to go to the bathroom now. I mean, that's, that's, that's okay. That's, that's acceptable. I don't want to have to clean it up. <laughs> that's fine. I don't want to deal with that crap. But no, seriously, all joking aside, it's a really good movie. Um, And they both deal with faith in a way that I think is really compelling. Because it's very easy, especially nowadays with religious film, to be like pandery and like evangelizing the whole time. But I feel like these films do it in a way where it's like they depict a version of religion I wish was more present in reality, where it was a place of love and not a place of demonizing those different than you. Well, yeah, that's, you would hope that, but you know, you would hope that, but it's never going to happen because people are selfish by nature. Um, (laughs) They're, 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 they're polarized in their, um, and they're uh, very tribal in nature. And there's just no way to overcome that. At least not in a societal level individually. Yes, but not as a group. They're just too stuck in their they versus us versus them uh, mentality about everything. So it would never happen. But, like, it almost gives you hope that it could happen, these kinds of movies. Or at least a very personalized view of individuals coming to terms with life and existence and cosmology. But, again, I I, I, I don't think I need to repeat myself. I think this movie's incredible. <laughs> I think a lot of people will agree with that. Mm. Yeah, no, 100%. I'm currently seeing where Jacob's Letter is streaming. Oh, yeah. Oh, not, well, don't watch the the, net, the remake. That's the one thing. Avoid the remake of Jacob's Letter. That movie is... is 2019? Yeah, don't watch that one. That is bad. That is not good. Nice. It's on Prime for free. The original? Yes. I'm going to ask you about that next time, then. 100%. I love that. Uh, I love that movie. It is... There's a, there's a lot of, like, influential horror films I still have on my list that I want to see. Oh, yeah? Should Did I want to see... Um... I want to <laughs> hmm? see Suspiria. I've never seen Suspiria. Oh, you've seen the original or... Suspiria? Oh, that's incredible. No, or House, or... or Also good. House I like, not... but I don't love. No. Uh, the Japanese House, not, not the 19... Uh, yeah, which I have seen the 1985 House, and I like that movie actually. <laughs> I like that one too. I like House, the Japanese one. I, I don't love it because I think it's so zany that it it gets a little it gets a little too weird for me at times. <laughs> In a way that I'm like, is this are these people or are these like cartoon characters? <laughs> well, I feel like Jacob's Ladder could be the next one I watch. I feel like mm-hmm. that one is is a necessity. Definitely. By the way, I, I don't think I can't think of another time I'm going to ever get a chance to mention this. Um, did you ever hear of the movie Abby? Sounds familiar, but I'm not. I'm not. It's not like immediately springing to my mind. This Abby was a 1974 black exploitation parody, uh, or, or tribute, sorry, ripoff of The Exorcist. That's a parody tribute ripoff. Yeah, that, that's how it is. Because, like, it's hard. It's one of those films where you can't get mad at it because you know exactly what the producers were trying to pull. 
but it also stars, you know, William H. Marshall, you know, um, who played Blackula. Uh, it stars, oh. um, who else is in this movie? Uh, actor Carol Speed, most famous for playing Abby in the movie Abby. <laughs> Uh, but it's a great example of an early, you know, well, the exploitation horror films are kind of complicated to discuss because it's a whole, I feel we need someone else to talk about exploitation. but like, <laughs> Abby I feel is, like, I feel like we're not the, the appropriate people to be discussing no, the merits no. of exploitation like, as a genre. I burn in a, in a, in a dim shade, um, <laughs> to put it mildly. <laughs> But Abby is interesting. I have seen it, and I do quite like it. It's it, it, it has an energy to it that's very unhinged in terms of, like, low-budget filmmaking and them just playing with whatever they could get their hands on to make a scene work. You know, kind of like the same thing that they did with Evil Dead, where they just take whatever they had in hand and use it to assemble a scene. And it looks dangerous and creepy and, and, and dingy and nightmarish. I mean, you, the, want, you want those films to look... <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I love it when a film looks like that. It's my favorite look. When a film looks like it was assembled in, like, the someone's garage, essentially. Like, I love that look of the, the home-crafted... Um, I mean, obviously, it was a studio film, but, like, they weren't giving these people, these, these directors any money to work with. Like, they, they, were, they were getting scraps to make a profit. As, you know, they were spending as little as possible to make as much money as possible. Reminded me when the they were discussing the um like AI being used to create like fan projects or whatever. And oh it's yeah. Like the people were sharing around that like well that it's not like real like artistic like merit. And then they were showing around this this fan project from years ago it was a Spider Man one, and everything looked like it was just in like a a garage they found, you know, like a warehouse, and it looked so mean, cheap. The, the, the death but, of like, Stacy one. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and that was in, and again, like that was made for nothing, and they nothing. did all their own stunts in that. Like they, 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 they were jumping as hell. From, yeah, and and some of the stunts they were pulling off were insane. They were jumping from building to building in the rest of that film, like physically jumping, and they filmed that by going on top of building and jumping to the neighboring building. That's crazy, but I also love it. Yeah, like they. This is the kind of thing that no stunt coordinator would ever sign off on because it was dangerous. And I feel like films have lost that to an extent. Like a lot of films, they are so, then they have to be safe. I, I, this stuff in the years of Nexus, like I said, they're insanely, were insanely dangerous to pull off. They should never have frozen the room the actors were in. Linda Blair should not have a permanent back injury from the film. No. But there's also that sense of um, risk taking that people have stopped wanting to do. And again, I feel to go full circle, Exorcist three was a risk. Like, yeah, it was a sequel to a highly successful horror film, but the, the, the paths they took to get there were a big risk. It wasn't a conventional sequel. Yeah, no, it's very unconventional. Um, and I think as you'll see, when we get to dominion, I think you'll see, we never, they never took that risk ever again. Because Dominion yeah, no, was that that, doesn't surprise me. Yeah, because Dominion was, you know, I'll get to this more later, but like it was admonished by the studio because it took risks, because it wasn't what they expected. And I don't think it succeeded as well as Exodus 3, 
But the beginning is the start, is the beginning of the very safe era for The Exorcist. Even Exorcist would you say the new film is, is, would you say the new film is safe? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'd say the new yeah. film is very safe. Which is funny because Halloween ends with such an odd sequel for Halloween. Uh, that's I, I I've said this before and I, I, I stick with it and I think I think David Gordon Green's trilogy of Halloween films is fascinating uh, because they're not like the most successful, but mm-hmm. I appreciate the risks that they took to, to change up the formula and to do something unique and interesting with that franchise. Agreed, um, do I think it's 100 percent successful? Absolutely not. Do I think I was fascinating watching all three of those films? Or at least the last two specifically because of the changes that were made, mm. I think, I think is like really interesting, you know? And, and I think like, 2018 was the bet, yeah. one of the better sequels to Halloween. Uh, yeah. I, I'm on the side that really likes 2018. I think it and, and Halloween 4 are like on par for me for my favorite Michael Myers centered sequels to Halloween. Yeah. Um, but he took risks. And I find it very funny that this new Exorcist film has seemingly taken very few risks. And it's directed um, by the same guy. <laughs> yeah, the same guy. I, it's just proof, I think, to me that certain people should just not touch The Exorcist. Like Remy Harlan, for example. I think so. Yeah. Uh, again, yeah, I'm going to... Remy Harlan, I think, was not right for The Exorcist either. But he made an Exorcist film. The beginning... <laughs> Which I think is uh Which I think this is a, I think this is a perfect way to segue to that, that we're gonna yeah. cover that next. <laughs> that's a good that's a good idea, I think. And mind you, this fit X's beginning made a lot more money than X's three. I don't think that's a good thing. <laughs> well, it was also like in the two thousands when yeah. they were doing horror movies, like every like reboots and remakes. True. It was uh, also a flaw that was specified. It was These a flaw. Yeah, it was technically a flop, but it made, but it grows higher. I mean, it's it's the two thousands, so I think tickets at at prices have gone up, right? <laughs> yeah, actually, what's funny is Exodus Three was not a flop. It actually grossed forty four million against an eleven million dollar budget. Oh, but huh. it also grossed less than most of the follow ups, even though they were flops. I, I just don't understand why people spend all this money on like sequels when. They just aren't going to make that much money back. I don't know. Because that's a property, I guess. I guess. It looks, like, it looks like Believer is making a profit so far. Okay. So far, I guess it, that's good. Yeah, it's like 85 million box office against a budget of 30 million. So it's making money, but it's like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm babbling again. I, I know we've, 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 we've said all we have to say for right now. I, I get that. <laughs> I no, I think I think this is a good enough point where it's a stopping point, but we both agree the Exorcist Three is the best sequel so far and probably oh, yeah. will be the best sequel in the whole franchise. Uh, yeah. And I do also want to say uh, one more thing too before we go. Um if you like this film, watch the changeling from nineteen eighty. It also starts with that Scott. and Jacob's Ladder. Now that yeah. you mentioned that. <laughs> yeah. The Changeling's incredible. It's just one of the best ghost movies I've ever seen. And I think it doesn't get viewed a lot outside the horror community, and I think it's a, a shame because it's easily accessible and an incredible film. So, The Changeling, watch that. Well, 
it is the Halloween season, and it is a perfect time for people to be adding that to their list. So I hope they do that. If they haven't, I will do that. I have that, and I have to watch Mandy because I haven't seen Mandy yet. <laughs> yeah, watch Mandy too, but different different times. Actually, you can watch Mandy after Halloween. You can watch Mandy after Halloween. I just figured I'd point it out because it's also on Shutter. <laughs> That's fair. That's very fair. Um, and with that being said, uh, do you want to plug where the people can find you? Yes, actually. You can find me on Twitter, where I'm probably being canceled right now by someone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, on TikTok, uh, under my name. You can find my articles at Dread Central, Anime Herald, Anime Feminist, Feminist uh, CPR, Polygon, Mary Sue... Tons of the places as well. Bylines I'm forgetting. Um, or or Blue Sky. I'm on there as well uh, under the same name. So there you go. Well, uh, and I am Crystal Williams. And you can follow me on Twitter, Crystal W. Rocks. I have a link tree on the Twitter bio that leads to all my other places, including Medium, where I'm under Crystal Williams. And you can read my articles there. Um, I have a Halloween short story I wrote last year that's still there. So if you want to read that, you can do that. I thought about writing one for this year, but I'll have to see if I can make the time for that. <laughs> um, with that being said, thank you everyone for listening to our continued mini series on the Exorcist films. Next time we will be watching the film Exorcist, the beginning. Um, so stay tuned for that. It's going to be a blast. <laughs> Uh, thank you for listening, and we will see you on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody.